Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 9, is where we are today. He was pouring his drugs down the toilet and his, all the booze in his house. Um, a friend of mine was telling me that uh, this was the immediate result of the, uh, both the end of his drug dealing career and his salvation in that moment. And I was not born in that planet, right? I, I know nothing of the underbelly of the world and that, that type of life. I was a, a chubby 10-year-old kid. Just imagine what you have before you without a beard uh, in a uh, church camp in which they sang, I could sing of your love forever. And they could really, I mean, like that, they really meant it. You know what I mean? Like that song just kept going and going and going and going. Like they really could sing of his love forever, you know? Like, and somewhere in that 10 minute song, the Lord opened my eyes uh, to another reality that I had never experienced before in my entire life. Just imagine you're sitting next to someone and you didn't even realize that they were there and you were ignoring them the, the entire time. I realized that the God that I'd heard about really loved me and I had sinned against him and that his love was, was there and he would take away all my sin by what he did in his son. So whether you were a former drug dealer or a chubby 10-year-old at a church camp, we all have to look at what we see before us in Acts chapter 9 and understand these things the scriptures say about the Apostle Paul, though clear in him, were also true of us in many ways. And Luke's emphasis here in this passage is once again another effect of how Jesus' ministry affected someone's life. And what do we know specifically about Paul or Saul, as his name is here in Acts chapter 9? He was an enemy of Jesus. So what does the 10-year-old kid at a church camp with really poor theology and a 7-Eleven worship song have to do with a former drug dealer, what do they have in common? Both enemies of God. Both enemies of God. So when you look back on your own story, if it doesn't start with the fact that you used to be, when you were not a Christian, you used to be an enemy of God. And my friends, we're starting from the wrong place. We're starting from the wrong place. How many people you know that tell their story? I was, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. I'm sorry. You weren't born a Christian. You were born in sin, conceived in iniquity, just like the rest of us. And the truth is, from Acts chapter 9 is the mission of Jesus is in the conquering of his enemies for their salvation. You see that? You see that in your life? That, that there, there was an enemy of God, it was you, and he conquered you, saving you. That's what he did. 
In the last few chapters, we've seen Simon the magician who really didn't believe his salvation was an illusion to keep the play on words up. There was the Ethiopian eunuch. He was already reading his Bible. But Saul was nothing like that. He wasn't someone pretending to be a Christian. He wasn't someone seeking. He was seeking to hunt down the people who both were Christians and pretending to be so. Either one would fit the same shackles, his opinion. He's not indifferent to Jesus. He's not apathetic towards Jesus. He's very passionate towards Jesus for his demise and the demise of anyone who affiliates himself with him. So when you look back on your own story, sometimes we have to reframe it. You know what I mean? Like we, that, that kid didn't know much, you know? He didn't know much. Did he know that he was God's enemy? I don't know. But we need to understand from this passage that Jesus, because Jesus is alive, he still conquers his enemies for their salvation. And that's good news because we're talking about Acts chapter 9. Jesus died before this book was written, really. So we see the mission of Jesus applied to his enemies here. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says Saul was consumed by this. He was breathing out threats. So much so that he persecuted in Jerusalem, and he can't get enough, so he's expanding the radius to Damascus, carrying extradition papers for any that he finds that is because he is Jesus' enemy. But here's the thing about the enemies of Jesus. He is alive after death. So if they were just plain enemies of Jesus, that's one thing. But it's not just that Jesus has enemies. It's that he is alive and he's still hunting them like this. You see, it looks like Saul is, is the hunter, and, and these Christians are the prey, when in reality, Saul is the one who gets hunted here. Look at verse 4. He heard a voice. This is after Jesus stops him, blinds him with the light, knocks him to the ground. Verse 4. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So notice that Jesus clearly initiates this. Saul's not looking for Jesus. Now, we need to know this because we just came from the Ethiopian eunuch, and when it kind of looks like the Ethiopian eunuch was a, a spiritual-seeking kind of guy, like he had some kind of spiritual sensitivity to him, we see clearly in Acts chapter 9 that no one seeks for God, but God seeks for people. That's the truth. You see, if left alone, the Ethiopian eunuch would be Saul. But Jesus just approaches him more aggressively. So Luke tells us he was on his way searching to imprison people who knew Jesus. This was the last thing he would have expected. Verse 3 says, a light from heaven shone around him. This is significant because chapter 2, later on in the book of Acts, we're going to get there uh, a couple years from now, we learned that it's midday at this point. Chapter 26, which we'll, we'll see for about 2030, right? You all know. And chapter 26 says it was a light brighter than the sun. So it's midday, and the light that comes upon him was brighter than the sun. In our, our day, there is no competitor to the sun. But that's, that's not true. This light shone from heaven that was brighter than the sun. Saul wanted no part of Jesus, didn't believe in him. 
I believe that he died for his lies and he, that everyone around him ought to die for Jesus' lies as well. He went to go arrest Christians. But at this point, we understand that Jesus arrested Saul. Jesus arrested Saul. And it's a good reminder for us, though it might not be a dramatic situation. I'm not saying that this has to repeat itself in your life or you're... You're lost and there's not a Christian in your family. I'm saying that the principle that we can transfer over from this is that God always initiates salvation. Always. He is the initiator. He is the beginning. He is the end. And everything in between, it comes from Him. We didn't find Jesus. We didn't find Him. Y'all didn't find Jesus. None of you. He's not Waldo. Okay? He's not Waldo. We're like, where's Waldo? I found him. Well, you didn't find Jesus and he wasn't lost. You were lost. And if you're a Christian, Jesus found you. He found you. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. That there is one seeker, and it is God. It is not man who seeks for him. No one seeks for God. So Jesus initiates this, arrests Saul, convicts him of how he's living. Saul doesn't seek Jesus. He responds to Jesus seeking him. That's what you did. That's what we did. Now you go, why are we going all the way back? Why are we going all the way back to that 10-year-old, the chubby 10-year-old at the church camp? Why are we going back? Why, why, why do you want me to go back there? You need, with present eyes in these scriptures, to reframe what happened to you, lest you live to take credit for what only God can do. See, you're going to live differently if you understand just how much of a beggar you were and how much you didn't have in your hands. And how you weren't good enough and you never were going to be good enough to please God with your works. And you never were going to seek Him and never in a million years, never in another million lifetimes would you ever be in this seat today, be loving Him today if He did not first love you and if He did not first seek you. Saul responded to Jesus like this and we must respond to him. So because Jesus is alive, we must respond to his call. This is the call of Saul. You better, Jesus called Saul. I've never seen that show, but Jesus called him right here in these first nine verses. What does this call do? What does this call do to Saul? Well, it convicts him of sin. Oh, I, I should be ringing all kinds of bells in your heart that this came from God to you. He started it. You didn't. He came for you. You didn't come for him. And what did he do when he came for you? He convicted you of the way that you're living. So one, if you thought you were the initiator, it's not true. Two, if you've never dealt with your sin, if you weren't convicted of your sin, you weren't saved from your sin. If you weren't convicted of your sin, you were not saved from the said sin. And my friends, you are still in them today. So what does this call do? It comes from Jesus and it convicts us of our sin. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just so happens his sin was a lot clearer than a lot of ours. You're not like hunting people in the church to be like a Christian serial killer. That's not you. Right? You don't got body. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm just, just assuming it's not you. Okay? Love hopes all things, my friends. Hopes all things. <laughs> But if you were a former serial killer, then you kind of recognize with Saul, and you're like, yeah, that used to be me. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And notice, in confronting Saul's sin, because that's what happens here, we see Jesus' relationship with his church. 
Jesus' relationship with his church. Did, now, did Saul actually persecute the physical Jesus? Well, no. Jesus is dead. Physically. Dead. So, who did he actually... Per- well, he, he, held, he kind of oversaw Stephen's murder. And he had several... Probably bodies were lining up from him. But you see... Here in this verse, Jesus' intimacy with the church, that when his church is being persecuted on a day when we think things like, like we think about this reality, when his church is being persecuted, Jesus is being persecuted because the church is his body. So you can't sin against the body without sinning against the Son. So that's what happens here. He convicts him of his sin being united to, thank you, beautiful woman in the front row, that's my wife. He convicts him of his sin and tells Saul that the way he is living is against God. It's against God. Now, think about this for a second, my friends. Saul was very passionate, very passionate, well-meaning and zealous and sincere about what he was doing. Those are not marks of the truth. That's not marks of the right thing to do. So when we think about our friends, we think about our life, if someone's living a certain way and they're very passionate about it, it doesn't mean it's right. If someone's living a certain way and they're very zealous and sincere, they mean well. Their heart's in the right place. Saul's heart's in the right place when all these bodies are dropping. Right? Should we encourage him? No, my friends, because your heart is not in the wrong place if your heart is not in God. So Saul's heart was in the wrong place no matter how sincere. So you can be zealous about your sin, zealous about your rebellion against God. You can be sincere about the things that you need to repent of. You you can be really sincere about the stuff you need to turn around from, the death that you need to walk away from. You can be really sincere about that. Zealously and sincerely wrong. That's what he is. That's what he is. Are you opposing God? Because that's what, that's what is the issue here. Jesus didn't come down here and go, well, you're really well-meaning and very passionate. Good for you. Good for you. Because that's what we would do in our culture. We're really sensitive about those things. You're really passionate about it. Good for you. You do you, brother. Hey, Saul, you do you. No. They're laying in the dirt, blinded. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus reveals himself in verse 5. Saul calls him Lord. That's a good start, right? Anybody anybody blinds you and puts you on your rear in the dirt? Respect's a good place to start. So who are you, Lord? And we can't get in Saul's mind at this point, but he's talking with a man who got out of the grave and knocked him in the ground. But either way, Saul hated Jesus and everything he stood for, and now he submits to him and respects him all of a sudden. There's initiation here, conviction, and what else? Transformation. 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 It's a clear picture for us. Jesus doesn't have a relationship with anybody who calls him Savior, who doesn't call him Lord. Thank you for this get out of hell stuff. It's great. But I'm going to go do what I want now. Said every lost person. Said every lost person forever. Every person that going to hell thinks they got out of it and doesn't submit to Jesus, they're still on their way there. There's transformation in salvation. Transformation in salvation. So he submits to his authority, and it's from this that Saul gets his marching orders to go into the city. So he's blind, laying in the dirt, no room for negotiation. 
No room for negotiation at this point. He waits for commands. Depends on Him for sight. There we were. There we were. No room for negotiation, right? Like He could just let you go. Let you keep going the way you wanted to go. And then you would be burning forever. He could just let you go do whatever you want. Just keep going. Keep going. On your way to hell. Go. Just breathe till you get there and make all your own decisions and do whatever you want. Right before being consumed by the wrath of God and punished by Him forever. No. That's not what He did to you if you're a Christian. There was no negotiation in this at all. Saul's just a really clear picture of what Jesus does to His enemies. Saul's just a really clear picture of what He did to me. And I didn't really understand it all at the point. New life, new direction, desire for commands, all of those are marks of people who are actually Christians. That's it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question about if you're a Christian. If you're legitimately, genuinely a Christian. And let me phrase it to you a very specific way based on this passage to you. Has Jesus ruined the selfish direction of your life and replaced it with humility to ask for directions from Him? That's me asking you if you're a Christian. I'll do it again. Has Jesus ruined the selfish direction of your life and replaced it with humility for getting directions from Him? You say, yeah, oh yeah. I used to do whatever I wanted to do. I used to do whatever didn't make my wife mad. I used to do what kept me out of jail. But now I have a higher standard. And that standard is the Word of God. And the pleasure of God. That's my standard, the pleasure of God. You know, I used to be really selfish and want to do what I wanted to do. And I lived like everybody else. And then Jesus ruined the selfish direction of my life and replaced it with a certain level of humility and a direction for His. You see, back here in the verse, Luke tells us that the men who were traveling with Him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. They, you know, Saul was the only one that got this call. They probably could have went on and ate lunch at Frisch's, but not him, not him. They could have went on their way, but Saul, he was different from this point forward. He saw something that he just couldn't unsee. You see, salvation is a lot like that. You're just imagine yourself. I've heard this in all kinds of places, but just imagine yourself in a crowded group of people and you're walking a certain direction. And out of that crowd, you just hear a buzz and you don't really hear anything because you hear everything. And then someone calls your name and you stop. And you turn. You go, out of a million people here, someone's, someone's talking to me. I heard my own name. See, my friends, that's what salvation is like. Because all those other people, they say your name, and they just keep walking. But not you. Not you. See, that is what Jesus does to people. You can't help but turn, because he's talking to you. Look in the mirror for a minute. Have you responded to his call? Was there a day when you just, for some reason, and no reason at all that you could discern, he was talking to you, he was directing you, 
He was ruining the, the selfish direction of your life. You weren't trying now, and now you don't try to chase after the same things that everybody else chases after. This American dream. You, you don't try to live the American dream and try to put some kind of vague Christian spin on it to where the outcome of their life is going to be the exact same outcome of your life, but you're going to be wearing a Christian t-shirt while you have all the things that they have and do all the things that they do, and you just wear a WWJD bracelet on your way there. Is that what it's like? Like that you're just wanting the same outcome as them? Or have you been called? Have you had a call that made you turn around? You go, I can't go the same way. I can't do the same things. I can't get pleasure the same way that they get pleasure. I can't do it. I have to do it a different way. I can't explain it. Maybe I can't explain it at first, but like I can't, I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't be that. Because he's called me, and I must respond. You see, that's what happens here in these first nine verses. He was called by God, convicted of his sin, transformed by God. It's changed. How do we know that they, he bought, Jesus bought me with his blood? I still have the change. See, this Saul was changed, transformed in this moment. And as we read the entire Bible, we never get the sense ever that God ever calls someone to himself without changing them and transforming not only their life, but the direction of their life to serve him in some capacity, right? Like we are the creatures, the works of his hands. So because Jesus is alive, you must respond to his call. Not only that, but respond to his consecration. Consecration. Saul got arrested here on the way to Damascus. Confronted by sin, blinded. Meanwhile, the Lord Jesus also speaks in a vision to a guy named Ananias here in the passage. And he tells him to go to Saul. He also seen a vision of Ananias laying, coming to Saul and laying hands on him that he might regain his sight. And when God calls Ananias here, he consecrates him, right, to go talk to Saul. And back when we got, back when we got to watch TV... Uh, Samantha might come in the room, and I'd be watching, like, uh, from uh, the, the Predators of Africa. You know, like, that's what would be on Netflix. The Predators of Africa. Or there's another one. It's, uh, it's called Cute to Deadly. Cute to Deadly. Right? And, and there's the lion and the, the, the zebra, and the lion always wins. He always wins. Unless it's an elephant. And then the elephant, you know, he just, like, sits on him or something, I assume. But, like, mostly the lion wins. And the gazelle, he's Donzel. That's terrible. He's trouble. Like, the gazelle's in trouble. I say that because Ananias probably saw that in real life. So it's like, I'm going to go to Saul. Oh, okay. So, like, the gazelle's just going to walk up to the lion and go, Hi, don't eat me. Step one. I've got some other instructions too, but you just really got to go with that first one. Don't kill me. God wants you to not kill. He'll lay you down again. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't know what he said. You know, like, I don't know if he threatened him from God again to be like, you want to, lay, you want to get back on your tail blind again? Then say something bad to me. I, I don't know what happened here. But Ananias comes to Saul at this point. And he, the, here's the Lord's reply uh, as he's talking to Ananias through this in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
Saw in the first half of these verses that Saul was chosen for salvation. Now he's chosen for service. So he consecrates Ananias to go to Saul. Saul to be his instrument. Instrument is used here as something exercised for a certain purpose. And specifically in verse 15, it's Jesus' purpose that Saul is to be used to accomplish. Notice what's happening here. First, Saul figures out for who, or whom, excuse me, who he's here for. Who? Now, he answers the question of the why. Why are you here? And if you're a Christian, the first question you've got to answer is who you're here for. Who are you here for? If you're here for the Lord, then the Lord's purpose is the one you're going to serve. If you're here for you, then your purpose is the one you're going to serve. Here, Saul figures out that he is here for the Lord. Saul figures out that he is for the Lord's purpose that he lives. It's two biggest questions in your entire life. is who are you here for and why are you here for? Have you answered them? Do you know? Do you know the answer to that? You see, that's what Saul runs into. And then we go, well, that's Saul, right? Like, he wrote 13 Bibles, books of the Bible, and, and I struggle with texting without messing up. You know, like, we could push back and be like, yeah, that, that's him. In fact, I don't really like the way you're using this text because you're applying it in my life, and like, I'm not a former Christian serial killer, uh, and uh, that's him. In fact, he's an apostle, and as you have so eloquently previously mentioned, all the apostles are dead, so his office is full. I know. But see, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says uh, that this commissioning, or co- I'm sorry, consecration is for um, all of us. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we see Saul being arrested, captured by God, consecrated for the purposes of God, We need to understand that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do good works. It's important. The who? It's the Lord Jesus. That's who you're here for. The why? It's what he's gifted you and created you to do. Saul was a chosen instrument. It belonged to Jesus to carry his purpose, his name among the Gentiles, the kings, and and the children of Israel. So apply this consecration to your life. You are his instrument in this symphony that we call the church, the body, or you're his instrument in his toolbox, what is it? What is it? What is it that you can do? Die doing that. Die doing that. You know, like give your life to those things, to that thing, to who? And to why? Give your life to it. Pour it out. Do, spare no expense. Spare no blood, sweat, tears, everything in between. For this singular purpose, you are alive. What is it? What is it? What can you do for this one who has captured you? Who has loved you? Who has saved you? Who has called you? See, not all of us, like we, normally we have a checklist of two as we're answering this question of what is the purpose for why I am here in this world. In the church, we have like a purpose of two. And maybe that's, I'm not that smart, so maybe that's how I got here, you know? I don't like to think of it like this, but like, can I preach? Oh, man, probably not. Can I sing? Uh, Don't know about that. 
That's it. That's it, right? We got a checklist. It normally has like two things on it. Can I preach or can I sing? When there's so much more to be done for the Lord and His church. There's so much more than preaching, teaching, and singing. So much more. There's so many more things to be done in His church. And many of you have discovered that. Many of you are serving in that. Many of you are handy and are using those hands for things for the Lord. Die doing that. I don't mean, I mean, like, give your life to that. He gives your life purpose. He gives your life worth. He is, when, Jesus, when Christ, who is your life, appears. You see, He has consecrated you for His purposes. He has ownership of you. This is instruments. We are His resources. We're like, we are to use them for what He is doing in His world. Ananias was told this very thing concerning Saul. It's true regarding us as well. Verse 15, we see his purpose. Verse 16, there's a promise associated with it. Verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So let me ruin all our uh, fairy tale of a life that we might imagine it to be. That if we know who we're here for, why we're here, that it's going to be, it's going to be like it's going to work. It's going to it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's not going to be hard. Well, Saul had a specific ministry of suffering, but what's true of Saul is true of all, in a way that in this life you will have troubles. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. You see, if you are serving Him for why He made you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but if you know who you're here for, it's going to be worth it. If you know who you're here for, it's going to be worth it. The why is going to be hard. Here, he tells us about Saul, that he must suffer for my namesake. And there's going to be suffering in this life for all of us. There's going to be more suffering if you live for someone other than yourself. It's going to be more suffering if you live for a purpose other than your own. That's what he kind of points out here in verse 16. Notice that he's not talking about suffering for having good morals. For having good morals. Because if you don't go fornicate with the other guys or girls at work after you get off, you don't go get drunk with the rest of them, Good for you. Cheerio, or whatever they say. Good. But you're not going to get persecuted for that. Really? Not like this. What was his per- what's the root of his, his persecution here? For Christ's name's sake. For his name. Now, if you don't fornicate and get drunk with the rest of them, and you make it plain that it's because of Christ, you might be persecuted for that. Because otherwise they might think you just got out of AA or you're scared of your spouse. No. See, the reason that we do not go along with the world is because of the Lord Jesus who is alive. And who himself has overcome the world. And he's coming to use us to redeem this world. So... He's not going to suffer because he doesn't participate in the other activities that other people do. 
He's going to suffer because of the Lord Jesus. Oh, and it's not going to be a little bit, right? How much he must suffer. And he must do so for my name's sake. So his trouble is going to be coming from identifying with Christ. And my friends, trouble will come if you identify yourself with Christ. But why else would you live? For who else would you live? For what other purpose would you live? For none. Same thing he said in 2 Timothy 3. It's not just for, all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Morality doesn't necessarily bring persecution. People tip their hat to you for that. Good for you. I'm impressed with you. You're a role model. But you identifying with Jesus will be costly. This is normal for Christians to follow Jesus like this. When our current church culture, we've exchanged the promise of persecution for the promise of prosperity, and many of us have bought into the lie while condemning Joel Osteen anyway. We, we buy onto his theology and curse his name. How do I know that? Why would I say that? Why would I say, oh, I'd never do that? You have a way of trying to grab everything that your neighbors want. The life that they live, the house that they have, the car that they have, the vacations that they take. You have, we have a habit of chasing after the things that they chase. As if this indeed truly is our best life. We have a habit of pursuing that while never admitting that we're actually following the prosperity gospel that we condemn. We're putting Christian t-shirts on the American dream ourselves. Self-included. Lord, have mercy on us. I want you to see in this commissioning, though, of Saul, a realistic sense of what it means to follow Jesus, that you can count up front. If you identify with him, you might not get all of the things that your neighbors get. You might not have a life as easy as they do, right? Like, that's what we struggle with, right? Like, we have air conditioning and heat in the house. Then we have a thermostat that we tell the air what to do. Why? We hate being uncomfortable. Hate it. And then, if you're like me, you're like, hey, um, did you know that you can have an app on your phone or even talk to your Alexa, and you can tell her what to set the thermostat, and you can just speak things into existence in your house. You can be like, 68 degrees. And she goes, yes, sir, 68 degrees it is. 68 degrees. Just from the words of these little lips right here. She does what I want, and I can be comfortable. You see, we're not being called to comfort, and I'm not, I'm not cursing air conditioning and heat. Praise the Lord for those things, you know? But if we want a life that's as comfortable as everyone else's, we pick the wrong one. Like we, right? You're reading the wrong book. You want as comfortable a life as your neighbor. You're reading the wrong book right here. If you want everything they have and the life of comfort and ease, you're in the wrong place. But if you want it to matter, if you want it to mean something, oh, my friends, if you want life, that, life forevermore that never ends, that matters, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. You're in the right book. You are looking to the right Lord. But my friends, it's costly. And it's painful. And it hurts. And sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes you have to be uncomfortable. But know that you can count the cost ahead of time and expect these things. Do not think it strange, my beloved, when the trials, fiery trials come upon you. It's not weird. 
It's normal. It's normal. Ananias and Saul both were given really hard jobs here in this passage. Ananias was to go talk to a murderer. Saul has shown that he's going to suffer for Christ. So when that happens, don't think you've been tricked or lied to or promised a bill of goods that you've been sold something. No. It's how it works. We need to be ready for difficulty. How hard? I don't know. How much? I don't know. Reflect on this one. Does, does our version of following Jesus include a baptized version of what everybody else is seeking? Or have you indeed been called out, called away, consecrated for a purpose that's greater than your own? Well, because Jesus is alive, we must respond to His commission, and it's in His service that He calls us. Look at verse 17, what Ananias does. He departs and enters the house, lays his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you have came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So immediately things like scales fall off Saul's eyes here and he could see. But what's a bigger miracle than that is that Ananias and Saul were in the same room. And Ananias and Saul are now in the same family. In the same family. He just called him brother. Are you kidding me? He would have killed you yesterday. And now he's your brother? You see, this is real. This is real. And one of my biggest problems in the church for years and years and years is the, is the word brother and sister. Because we use those words. Brother so-and-so. If you're, like, if you're old school, right? Brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You don't treat them like your brother. You don't treat them like your sister. You just put titles on them. So I've struggled with this. Using this, brother, so-and-so, sister, so-and-so. But no, my friends, we are now, we've been called and consecrated into a family. Into a family. To a real family. Not a fake one. Not a temporary one. But a real one. The same Jesus that appeared to Ananias appeared to Saul. Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, it only makes sense because of Jesus' work in their life. And if we want to look at the people in our, our church that are different, have different talents, interests, abilities. Some of you all are handy and I'm like two fingers down today, you know, again. Again and again and again. Like I said, you don't want me working on something. What happens here is they are brought into a family. Saul identified with Christ's body. Verse 18, Saul identifies with Christ's body by being baptized. That's what he does. We cho choose to show this uh, principle, identifying with the family in baptism here, right? So if you are a Christian, this is your call to identify with the family. And what are the marks of the family? Baptism. How do we outline this family? Church membership. It's how we, how we, how we show and hold each other accountable as part of the family, so because Jesus is alive, that's what you've been consecrated to, right? To respond to his call, respond to his consecration and his commissioning. In verses 20 through 31, you see, we should serve Jesus in our immediate context like Saul does in verse 20 through 22. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. So Jesus impacted Saul's life that he responded with immediate obedience and who figured out that Saul had been called the people around him that he was then talking to. 
Saul was told that one day he would carry Jesus' name before kings. Where should he probably go first? Next door. Next door, right? The synagogues. The people in his town. That's That's what he said in verse 20, and that Jesus was the Christ in verse 22. The people were amazed that Saul's not who he used to be anymore. Is this a trick? Some of them were scared of him still. Verse 22 says he was strengthened. He was immediately obedient to what Jesus called him to do. He didn't wait till he was on the mission field to be obedient to the Lord Jesus as his commissioning as a missionary. That's what he did. He served him right where he was. Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 says he went to Arabia for three years in the desert to prepare for ministry before returning to Damascus. Look at the response of the ministry. Verse 23, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. Well, good preaching, son. We're digging your grave. So immediately he had to endure the suffering he was promised. And it's beginning likely to be the beginning of a pattern here that we see from Saul from this time out. Preach, persecution, flee to preach somewhere else. Preach, death threats, and the altar call, escape, repeat. But in this, in this, there is a glimmer of hope in this passage. Verse 25, who does it say that led him down the opening of the wall to escape? In verse 25, does anybody know the answer to that question? Go ahead. See verse 25? But his disciples, his disciples, that's who did it. Meaning that there were people who owed their salvation to him and began to follow him. He immediately carried out the commission to make disciples. To make disciples. So that is what we are to do. We are to respond to these things, the call, the consecration, and the commissioning of the Lord Jesus in our life. And may, but maybe somebody's in here and you've responded to these and you're trying to, to respond to those. How do we treat one another while all this is going on? Well, enter verse 27, Barnabas. The son of encouragement, his name means. Barnabas took Saul and encouraged him in the fellowship here in the passage. He bridged the gap by taking him to the apostles. Somebody took a risk on Saul, so to speak, and brought him in. He declared to them how Saul had seen the Lord and what God was doing in Saul's life. He reached out to Saul. He brought him in and he bridged the gap. You see, this is what we are to do to one another in the church. What, is this, what principle does this show us? Well, it shows us that a missing seat where someone's supposed to be is a problem. A visitor is an emergency. That's what we see, right? Because if we're looking at how this works in someone's life, well, God calls individuals. He sets them apart. He commissions them to do work in His church. And then there are people in the church that need to be reaching out to those people who God has called, consecrated, and commissioned and pulled them in. Pull them in. So if you see somebody you don't know, that's an issue. It's an issue. Or if you don't see somebody that you're supposed to see, it's a problem. It's a problem. We need more Barnabases in the church that help connect everyone, that help bring people in, that connect the people that are here, that hold them in, that bridge the gap between someone that's on the outside of the church coming in to the church. It's maybe not so sure about their commissioning. See, Barnabas is the one that, that, that makes this work here. We see how local, a local church should intentionally welcome people in 
to the membership. The Lord used Ananias and Barnabas to bring someone who wasn't really supposed to be there into the church. And who's going to do that here? Who's going to be that person here? Who's going to bring them in? Who's going to draw them in? Who's going to connect them? Who's going to bridge the gap? Who's going to go, hey, you're kind of rough, on the, rough around the edges, but you know what? I believe by looking at your life that you have been called by the Lord Jesus you've been, and, and you can serve him in, in these ways. And I'm going to help you put, put the hammer to the nail here. Who's going to do that? We need it. We need it. Because this act of kindness, verse 28, says, Saul went and out among, among them in Jerusalem and preached boldly and made it his habit to dispute against the Hellenists who were the Greek speakers just like him. Saul likely was the leader of that group that he went back and debated at this point. They sought to kill him, so the brothers sent him to his own town, likely for his own safety and his own protection. That's all we hear about Saul until chapter 11, when Barnabas goes and gets him for the ministry going on in Antioch. You know, Saul became a Christian on the Damascus Road. He was called by the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus called his name the same way he does every sinner. If you're not a Christian here, the Lord Jesus is probably calling you. I would venture to guess that you're here not by accident, but by the sovereign purpose of God. That He is indeed calling your name because God is holy and righteous and just and you have rebelled against Him. But God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for everything you've done against God and offers you repentance and forgiveness. That you will be able to turn from everything you've done, turn towards God and be forgiven of everything that you've done against God because of everything that Jesus did for you in your place for your sin. He calls you, he'll set you apart, he'll give you work to do, a reason, a purpose to give your life to, a reason that matters, the one that will endure forever. It's what he does to everyone that he draws to himself. And if you're not a Christian today, you need to turn from your sin and trust in him. You can come get me afterwards, we'll, we'll talk about this. But also, if you see all of this going on in the life of Saul, and you don't see yourself as a Barnabas who could come and connect an outsider to the inside, this is a great opportunity to repent. Barnabas is a great example that we need to repent towards, to turn toward being a Barnabas who brings somebody in from the out, an outsider with rough edges, trying to figure out their purpose for what the Lord Jesus has done for them, and he brings them in. So during this time that she's going to come and, and lead us in some music, this is a perfect time for you to respond to the Lord because of the preaching of his word towards being more like Barnabas. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. Uh, please change our hearts to be like Saul uh, in that we uh, are an instrument of yours. Please help us to be like Barnabas in that we are connecting people to your body. Do this for us and a million other things that your word hits in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.